right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. Here we go, and welcome back to another episode of Toxic Masculinity. Normally, I would be in, uh, introducing that other dashly, handsome mustachio man, Don the Predator Fry, but Don is running just a little bit behind. But uh, we we actually have another gentleman that's separating in there, Tony Martinez, and he's got facial hair. He's got a goatee, so he's good to go. So, you know, we're, 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 in, good, we're in good position here. So here we go. And our guest today is, where's my, there we go, is none other than a Jacob Duran. Joining us today, he has a career deeply rooted in the professional boxing and UFC and many other combat sports. Jacob is renowned for his invaluable role as a cut man, having worked with some of the most celebrated fighters in the sport. Um, you know, And also has been in numerous movies playing himself. Let's dive right into art and science, explaining the cut man and explore Jacob's extensive career. Now, first off, I didn't even know your first name was Jacob. I always should be knew you a stitch. You know, it, it's funny you say that. What's going on, man? What's up, Tony? Uh, when, when, uh, when I was filming the Creed movie with Michael B. Jordan, now this is my third movie with him, right? Well, well they're filming a documentary on my life, and they interviewed Michael. And and they sent me the clip, and... and uh, Michael is saying, you know, Stitch is wrapping my hands. It's top, this is my third movie with him. Stitch is wrapping my hands, and all of a sudden he says, Michael, do you know my real name? He says, Stitch. I said, no, no, no. Do you know my real name? He says, I don't. But there's a lot of people that don't know my real name is Jacob. You know, so, but the world knows me as Stitch. It's crazy, huh? When, when did that, I mean, when did the, when did that nickname get stuck to you or or did you make it up at some point in time? Or? No, you never, you never give yourself your own nickname. It's always given to you, right? Well, you remember, and this is <clears throat> Dennis Alexio. I, I used to have a school of kickboxing and I used to work with Dennis Alexio at this time was the uh, uh, kickboxing champ, light heavyweight, uh, heavyweight, cruiserweight heavyweight, just a badass boy. Well, I was working, he one of his sparring partners, Dave Rooney. Uh, we had some shows and, and I was starting to make that transition into being a cut man. I was a trainer and uh, had to learn everything. But Dave Rooney got a cut. And knowing now what I know now, I used to see these old cut men, boxing cut men only. At this time, it was only boxing. They would cut tape and get little strips and then butterfly it. So I did that to Dave Rooney. And he says, man, I don't have to go to the hospital. You save me some stitches, I'll call you Stitch. And that's where that name came from. And, and you know, Dave Rooney, last thing I heard, he was a fisherman in Alaska. And Dan, I don't know if he really knows how much he changed my name. Well, you like I said, every as far as I know, yeah. I thought that was your name. I kept thinking, well, <laughs> he might have had another name, but maybe he just simply uh, changed over because the the world knows him as Stitch here right now. Yeah, you know, so Stitch, yeah. And and you and you said you first started off in in, in the realm of boxing. Was your first profession that you started with as a cut man? No, as uh, I started off in kickboxing. Kickboxing. I was, uh, yeah, I was. Um, in 1972, I joined the Air Force, and uh, in 1974, they stationed me in a place called Thailand, and I didn't know what Thailand was, and uh, I had some friends that were there three months before me, and they already acclimated, and they invited me downtown to Banchan to see some fights, and, you know, being Mexican then, I thought it was boxing. Shit, this guy throws a kick, knocks a guy out, and I said, I'm in, you know, so that year, <laughs> I, I trained, it was Taekwondo for the GIs, 
but then the, the Koreans left and the Thais transitioned us. So we had both Taekwondo and, and, and Thai styles type of techniques. And uh, when I got back to the States, I got into boxing just to improve my hands and open up a school of kickboxing and learn to do everything, trainer and cut man and promoted fights and everything. I just got uh, IK, IKF, uh, Steve Foswam, I did his first yep. show. Yeah, I'm definitely very familiar with them because even when the UFC was going through its infancy, you know, state by state, different athletic commissions, there, there, there was nothing that covered mixed martial arts. Right. And so I, I went under these different umbrellas, you know, to and a lot of it would, would fall underneath kickboxing because kickboxing had been around so much longer. It's kind of like going, well, it's kind of like kickboxing, but there's going to be a little bit of grappling in here and just a little bit, kind of a hybrid type of thing. But then it's kind of tough because we were using, we were using actually a professional wrestling ring, yeah. but I actually had, I, I ended up putting on extra stays in there, but I always had, I'd have the the, the two, I'd have the, the, the uh, judges that have the three judges positioned in different uh, parts, but then I always had another another gentleman that was always sitting at, at, at the table with the judges, and then on, on the one blank side, even one other person sitting there, because those were the they were security, but they were to keep the the competitors inside the ring and not falling out or slipping between the ropes because you could hit those ropes and even if you got the, the stays onto it, you could simply slip and fall through. And their whole job was keep the competitors inside that ring. And it came in handy on a number of occasions. And Stitch, I come from no background whatsoever in from the fight game, but I to me, I just I did a lot of common sense type of things that uh, I never saw there before. Even in the Noah's Bard, when, when there was Noah's Bard on a professional level, I let them do all the all the rules that, that pertain to Noah's Bard, which was, I mean, pretty much carte blanche. Yeah, but, yeah. but but when it came to amateur level, I, I, I would simply ask people, I'd say like, well, Stitch, I go, how many matches have you had those so far? But if you had like under five, I would say that the only, only thing I would try to match with, well, again, with someone that had less than five matches. But the rule would then be is that because you're such newbies to the sport, the only thing I want to touch the head, which I always refer to the, as the pumpkin, I go, the only thing that touches the pumpkin is the hand. Whether it's a punch, spinning back fist, hammer strike, whatever you want to do, any way that you hit, hit the head with the hand, that's good to go. But then it's like now when you're in that six to ten range, you know, standing head kicks because I know that's not an easy thing to do. So I, I, I was trying to progress the athletes along in a in the safest manner I possibly could, knowing that, you know, now now they're at 11 plus matches. Now they're understanding a little bit more into where, again, opens up a more and more realms of danger. The last thing I would ever give them was that knee to the head because I know that the leg is such a big, powerful weapon. I did not, that was the last tool I would ever give them is a knee to the head. I allowed elbows was probably next and then need to the head but uh no that's that's a good point but yeah you were one of the pioneers that that's uh, hey i'm glad i'm old but i'm glad i never met you because you know you were definitely throwing down but when it came to the health and safety of the fighters i agree you know uh jay the bloodiest fight i ever worked was jay Heron when he fought jonathan Goulette. he took a knee and he and he severed that big vein we have and he bled like a pig right and but that one and it, even uh ground and pound you know when a guy gets knocked down and he's unconscious there's no reason to come down with an elbow on it you know yes. now you're looking at long-term uh damage injuries yes and and those are things that the game has to progress and you were already thinking about it just by getting the amateur separating them so congratulations yeah. to you 
No, I, well, again, you, you brought up an actually excellent point because one of the things that I I really despise about the sport is it, it's called MMA, which stands for mixed martial arts. But what I don't like seeing it, you, which was just what you described, you punched me and literally you knocked me out. Yeah. As I fall backwards, my head hits that canvas harder than you probably hit me to knock me out. As I hit there, I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm unconscious. But then that MMA fighter jumps right down and he will hit you two, three, five or more times before the referee stops him. And to me, it's like thinking, what kind of damage is occurring in those those additional strikes as you're limp and lifeless right there and they're just raining blow after blow. And that's where a lot of the referees are not skilled. Most of those referees have never been in, most of the referees have never been in, 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 in a MMA match in the first place. Yeah, but but that's common sense that if the guy is knocked out, he's knocked out. And you as a fighter, as a sportsman, should realize that when you're coming down with that elbow, that he's already out. I When uh, Dan Henderson knocked out Michael Bisbing, I'm uh-huh. working Bisbing, right? And, and, it's, and it's happened with the fighters, but this is the response when these guys get knocked out like that, Dan, is, is Bisbing's asking me, what happened? I said, you got knocked out. Well, what happened? Oh, you got knocked out. And then I said, Mike, look at me. And I, I do, I said, you got knocked out. But I understand because their brains have to reboot. Yeah, pro- because, process, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Krokop, when he got knocked out by Gage Gonzaga, he's like this. <laughs> yeah. His whole body just locked up. So, you know, uh, yeah, safety is what I, that's a big stress that I. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, again, that you, you, you actually, that, that last one you just mentioned about that match right there, that was, you know, yeah. that was very, very rare because, he was so good at knocking people off those, with those head kicks, and then also did then to be you live by the sword and you die by the sword. Well, yeah, he, he was taken out the same way. Like, going, wow, I I just thought he was just so vicious with all those those head kicks. And, and here's, a, here's here's a point to that one now on, on and on the educational point is the doctor had tried to take the mouthpiece out and see in Nevada the doctors are the best. Tony Tony Martin, I think was his name. That had happened to him. He just locked up and. <sighs> So I had seen it before, and the doctor says, leave the mouthpiece in because he's still, as long as he's making that noise, he's breathing. And okay. his body has to reboot, but you don't want to go in there trying to take something out because he's he just might bite he, your off. Yeah, he's, he's he's still biting down, he's clinching out because yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not so you know. I mean, you you know, you know, you've been there, you've done that to people, oh. you know. So well, I I will again I'll simply say that you know, towards the end of my career. I, I got knocked out once in my entire career. It, it was like, it was towards the end of my career. And, and I was kind of just like a journeyman. Yeah. That's really all I was. I had a lot of promoters that simply just liked me because they, they knew they didn't have to worry about me. I, I would be there. I'd be on time. And I, and I would kill all the, the, the different fans with, you know, cordial, being nice, answer the questions and stuff like that. Well, he, he ended up getting caught into a hard place where his, the, the first opponent he had for me, bailed out like less than 24 hours before. And he's, he calls me up, he goes in, in a panic and he's offered me up a new opponent. And he goes, well, what do you think? And again, I've ran shows before. I've been in that position. And I'm like going, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to help him out. I go, I go, I, is this a good match for me? No. <laughs> what you just described is Dan Severn 30 years ago. <laughs> oh wow! I go, so I go. You got a fifty-year-old guy out there, you know, fifty-plus years of age, getting ready to go against this this uh, this thirty-year-old, and I'm thinking, 
ah, the math is not going to be real good to yeah. me now. I said, I go, I, I know the position you've been in. I go against my better judgment. I'll take the match, hoping that I can get to a clinch, hoping I can get to it. It's like, it didn't work out the way I was hoping for. Yeah. yeah. Again, no, I'll, just be, I'll just be happy that he did. When he, he literally knocked me out of my feet and I went down. He went down. He, he struck me two more times and then just stopped to look at the roof. He goes, come on, you guys, you got to stop this match. I'm thinking, thank goodness he did this because he could have pulverized me another three, four shots easily. Yeah, well, you know, you know? I'm, I'm glad we're, we're having this conversation because, you know, like I say, health and safety has always been my number one issue and, and dementia is always the thing I look at. But just talking to you, man, you, you're one of these blessed people that have been well, in battles and still mentally are still capable of, of you know, I say that all the time that I always tell people, I try to use my, my mindset because I was not, I was never the striker aspect. I go, I, you never, I, I said, most people probably laugh when they try to see me throw my jabs or throwing some <laughs> type of shots of it that because I sucked. I simply sucked at it. But my, my whole theory was, if you're the striker, you have to be within arms reach to punch, legs range to kick, knee, elbow. And I kept thinking, stay a little bit out of range. As they throw them up, when they come back under the move right in. Go for a standing clinch, go for a takedown, or simply jam them up against the cage wall. But once I do one of those three things, I've neutralized 90 plus of the percent of their arsenal because very few athletes know how to strike from a clinch position. I actually, I, I was during the Noah's Bart era, I was teaching how to punch from a clinch position, how to how to use your shoulder, how to come underneath it, to jaw jack to where you simply come up, make them bite the side of their mouth or, you know, something of that nature where, where literally their, their eyes will start to water up and things of that nature. But you also can punch forward to where you can punch them in the nose. You can punch them in the eye. Again, it just depends on your height versus their height. Can I get underneath them? Can I get up a little bit higher? Can I do things? And it kind of surprised me because, the day that Conor McGregor fought Cowboy Cerrone and he punches him with the shoulder, my cell phone exploded. All these people are like, did, did Conor McGregor finally take a seminar for you? I go, no. I said, if he would have, he would have followed up with this, this, this. He goes, <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. He stops and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's kind of comical what they said to me by thinking, I've, I've been teaching that for, for 20 some odd years. So it's like going... You've been there, but my forte was I always tell people I was a one-trick pony, but I was a pretty good one-trick pony. So, and you know, and that's that's a good point. It's good to know that you know you brought this knowledge years and years ago. Because when I first started seeing the original UFC, really the only rules were there were no rules, right? And and grappling <laughs> and 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 this type of technique for a lot of guys just they didn't know how to do it, you know. And and just simple things like a shoulder, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. I worked with Josh Barnett. And and uh, he knows a whole lot of these. Eric, I worked with Eric uh, uh, Paulson. You know, these guys were great yeah. at what they did with those little movements. And and for you to bring that up and to mention that to me, we used to go to Tokyo with Josh. Uh, Bill Robinson was the original catch wrestler, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, he had some moves because I'm not. A, I'm a martial artist, but I'm not a grappler. Know nothing about that, but I know that what he did and what you guys do. Is top of the line. Yeah, no. I, I when I was first going over to Japan, I was working for a company that uh, did, uh, you know, kind of what they call referred to as the strong style. It was it was actually a professional wrestling company, and they were all predetermined type of matches, but they they still wanted to simply make it look like it was a real deal. And their whole thing was if you don't feel it, I mean, they, they advise you to wear uh, shin pads and stuff like this, and but they would they would throw in some pretty hard leg kicks. Where I mean, it, it welted me up there pretty good. 
but you know, it was a very strong sell. But that's when we ended up meeting both uh, Billy Robinson and, uh, um, oh gosh, I, I'm drawing a blank here right now. But uh, but that's where I ended up meeting him and uh, and and just one other gentleman that they were just phenomenal catch wrestlers is what they were. They were, yeah, right. they were from the world of professional wrestling, but they were also that that old style of uh, of catch wrestling to where. They knew how to disable people as well. Yeah. They could easily take you in and, and, and break a limb real quick yeah. on, on you. So there was there used to be that that era of professional wrestling that the champ would be out in the uh, ring and the announcer would simply say, any man, woman, or child that could step in this ring and last five minutes with the champ gets $10,000. That actually was legit. That was a shoot. Yeah. Knowing that yeah. whatever poor soul climbed to that ring, the champ was going to put down hard and fast and now when Billy Bob goes back up in the crowd, the yeah. crowd thinks, well, all this has to be legit because look what happened to one of our own. And that was the old uh, uh, scenario of what uh, how professionals had kind of got over. And uh, Luthez, that was the other name I was trying to think Luthez. of. Luthez oh, and Billy wow, Robinson. Yeah. So they yeah. were you know, two great individuals that were, you know, just they both had those gnarled up looking cauliflower ears. Did you know that they've been in yeah. a lot of matches? Yeah, a lot of matches. We talk about you know uh, Antonio Anoki, right? Yes. So I, I would go with Josh to Bombay, and yeah. and there I remember I, I worked with uh, Leona Machida fought Rich Franklin. First yeah. time I ever worked with uh, uh, Machida, and I knew nothing about Anoki uh, slapping people. But during oh. the intermission, these people would line up, and he would slap them. And psh, you know, and he slapped. The auto machine is by me, standing by me, and he gets it. He just slaps the shit out of him. I get my bags in my bucket and I leave. You know, but I didn't know that, that was a badge of honor that he was given to. He would do it for people in the audience. Yeah, I, I, and again, but all kinds, all ages too. I mean, older yeah. people, something like that. I'm thinking, man, yeah. I tell you, I, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to be in that line either. You know, <laughs> to, to take a big open palm shot because I, I used to tell people that I used to do a lot of open palm shots because as I'm delivering in here, I'm looking to aim with that big meaty portion of that palm right there. People are like going, what, what's he doing slapping him? I'm going, no, no, no. Bare knuckle, I could easily break a hand, break a knuckle or something like that. So I just simply opted for doing open palm shots anywhere around the, the temple uh, jawline. But even yeah. then, a lot of times I would cut my hand and I would hit them right on top of the ear looking uh -huh. to perforate the inner eardrum to where now I'm trying to destroy their Equilibrium, sense of balance. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is what I tell people, you're bringing these stories up. And I said, you know, I, I'm i the guy when we start wrapping their hands, it's like the old gladiator days. And these guys are modern day gladiators. And as I'm wrapping their hands, that's like putting armor on, on them before they go out to the arena and they fight for life. You know, and, and that's why I have so much respect for all you guys that get in the ring and throw blows because it's a hell of a business, bro. You know? Well, yeah. Yeah. yes, it is. Well, just like as you said before, you you, you like the fact that I, I'm 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 cognitive. I'm, I'm I'm I didn't take that many shots ahead. I always tell people I was a one trick pony, knowing that I want to get in, do my thing, and then I'm gonna get out of it because I don't want to stay too long to where now I start taking damage. I don't want to be one of those athletes that I need the money, I need this, I need right. that. Because there's there's just a lot of athletes that, whether it's from the boxing world, whether it's from the professional world, whether it's from the MMA world, they find this newfound wealth, but they don't know how to manage it. Or but or you could have someone like uh, like Mike Tyson, 
I mean, literally, he's had millions and millions of dollars run through his hands. And but he again, he did not know how to manage his money. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on Mike, but that it doesn't matter what the sport is. You can see the same thing about football players, basketball players, any any sport industry, because a lot of people came from not exactly the most educated backgrounds and they did not know, know how to monitor. And all of a sudden they got this windfall of money. And now they want to drive that fancy car. They want that fancy house. They don't realize there's income taxes on this. And I remember, I remember the first time I, in UFC, it was in December and they, that I, I ended up winning like the ultimate, ultimate. And I, I won 150,000. And here three months later, I'm cutting a check to the IRS for almost half of it. I'm thinking, son of a gun. These guys robbed me. I, they didn't even have to step into the, into the ring. And, and here, they're taking half of this right now on me. I'm thinking, wow. You know, and it's funny you bring this up, and and, and you're 100% right. But, oh, about 23 years ago, me and this young uh, filmmaker just graduated from American Film Institute, uh, did a, a documentary called Boxer's Nightmare. And it deals with all the stuff that fighters go through. But Mike Tyson was one of the guys. Uh -huh. And I said, look at me. He goes, I got ripped off over a hundred million dollars. And what do you tell your family? What do you tell your wife? You know, he goes, that's what makes a fighter punch drunk. But even, even uh, fights, cause I'm doing a lot of boxing. These guys with the gold chains and diamonds and all that. Shakir Stevenson that fought last weekend says, you know, I bought like $80,000 worth of jewelry, but then I thought I just devalued it. So I'm not gonna, you know, but it's education. Nobody, yeah. nobody has really educated you guys on how to spend them. You're talking about the IRS. Yeah, and if you don't pay the IRS off that $150,000, you'll always be doing, my man, what's hey, up? Man? How you doing, partner? Yeah. I apologize. I apologize, yeah. man. Everything could have went wrong today went wrong. <laughs> uh, love it, man. Good seeing you, bro. Nice seeing you, brother. Yeah, you I, I, screwed up, I screwed up yesterday. I guess we can blame it on age, right? Yeah. That's right. That's, uh, I'm I'm going to blame it on somebody else all the time, like a woman. No, it's all good, you know. Now, well, again, just on, on that same note, there. I mean, even when you think about boxing, and you had people like like a Don King, he was yeah. he was a he was quite the promoter. Be like, he'd be like you know trying to go to like a Muhammad Ali or something like that. Just 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 sign just sign the just sign the, the contract. I'll fill in the rest of the blanks here right now. I, I the things it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it still happens now. We're talking about fighters, you know, making all this money and not knowing what to do with it. But it happens even now, you know, where, where fighters uh, don't understand. And, and I put a video out. I always try to educate. But, you know, in this documentary that we put, the facts are that the maximum a manager could take from a fighter is 33 and a third 33.3%. We all know that, except for the fighter. And it's negotiable anywhere from 1% to 33 and a third 33.3%. So the story goes, if you if I pay you every month to keep you in the gym, to keep you living, and I'll make my money off you down the road, then 33 and a third percent is ideal. But if all you're making a phone call, you should be getting 10, maximum 15% as an agent. Am I right or wrong? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I think you should be making 10% for making a fucking phone call. You yeah, know? well, 10%. Yeah, I'm just saying 15% would be nice. You yeah. know? But 10% is all. No, I mean, more. No, you shouldn't make that much for just making a phone call if you're not doing any negotiating or anything. I mean, because I, I had a couple of scumbags, you know, they, they just accepted whatever the, whatever the Japanese thrown at me, you know, and I didn't know that. But they right. didn't do any negotiating, you know. They just said, okay, you'll take it. 
It's like, oh, well, fuck, I could do that and save myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not laughing, but you're 100% right. Because I negotiate my own self. You yeah. know, I'm not stupid. You know, I know what, I, what value I bring to the table. And, you know, whatever you're looking for, if I could, uh, yeah, you know, let's let's talk about it. So, but, you know, in, in boxing, because when I did this documentary years ago, I took, a, I did a bunch of surveys, but a majority of the guys in, in boxing have less than a high school diploma, you know, and right. MMA or in wrestling, it's a little different because a lot of these guys are college educated or have gone to college to wrestle. Mm-hmm. So the educational level is different. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys in boxing, they only had elementary school education. They were getting D's at that, you know, so yeah. I mean, they weren't they weren't showing up for one thing. And if they did show up, they were getting yeah. in fights, you know, and that's how they found out. Yeah, yeah. 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 no, you're right. <laughs> I like the analogy, but very simple. Yeah, yeah. well, again, that's well, one, one of the most recent polls that was taken. It, it kind of reconfirms what you just said there, Stitcher, that uh, when you look at how many amateur wrestlers that have now crossed over into the the mixed martial arts industry uh it, it's it's well it, they look upon it really right now as that's one of the, the best foundations that you can work from knowing you still need to learn something about submission you still need to learn something about uh striking and that but if you've got if you're a high level wrestler you still have that motivation you still have that drive and you'll you'll work hard at it to know that you can do strikes and you know things of nature. You've got uh, um, the, who's the one fifty pounder right now that uh, he gets the most bonuses for uh, fight of the night uh, from, from from north from northern Arizona. Who's the kid from northern Arizona? Yeah, from northern Arizona. I mean, uh, we've 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 had him on before. I, I, boy, I'm just I, I'm I'm just drawing a blank here right now that. Okay. Uh, Gagey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gagey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gagey. Okay, yeah. I just got back. Are you paying attention to what we're doing here? <laughs> I wasn't even sticking out. Goddamn, I'm playing glay. I didn't have my headphones on. I just said, <laughs> yeah. you know, got to watch out sometimes, Don. I don't know if he's taking his chair tall or if he's got you Viagra. Know, I know that he's you taking it. You, you know I wasn't sitting here with my headset on. <laughs> but no, no, Justin Gagey. He's got a phenomenal amateur wrestling background, but he likes to bang and just step steps right in and, and bangs away. Now he, he doesn't bang quite the same way that that Don. I mean, I think uh, Don probably has uh, probably <laughs> half a dozen uh, fights where he's he's stepped right in there and has done more banging away than than anybody there at times. All those fights in the stupid column, yeah. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> Even like the, the number of most people was him versus Takayama. And uh, I remember I didn't see it that night, but it was like a few days later I finally saw that match. And I remember I, I had to call Don and I'm like going, Don, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting out of this case. I'm like, Don, exactly what was going through your mind other than Takayama's fist? Okay. I said, yeah. that's not the way to win matches because they're they're, they're literally they got a collar tie on each other and they're just they're, they're just punch each other's face. For like forty five seconds, and it was like like a rock em, sock and robots, and it's like a test of wills. It's kind of like going, "I'm punching the face. Are you going to quit?" And then and the guy's like, "No, I'm going to keep punching you in the face until you quit." Who won the crowd? Because they witnessed something that they'll never ever see again. You know, so it's going, "Wow, those those are matches that 
yours truly does not want to ever be in there. It's kind of like, but I, I, I want to try to keep this. I try to keep the money maker here. Right. You know, I'm, right. I'm looking for a career in movies. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, it's, it's funny you bring that fight up. Of course, you know that's the one we all look at. But then, you know, me being a cut man, I, I always try to look into the mind of a fighter. And at that position, because I remember I interviewed Mike Tyson years ago, and I said, Mike, every fighter has that one little thing that nobody has. What's that one little thing? And very simply, he says, take the pain. You have to take the pain. And as I look at this, especially here with Don, they're banging the crap out of each other. And what's going through your head at that moment? You know, because you're not yeah. going to stop. He's not going to stop. You know, the, the pain is probably not even there anymore. But what, what goes through those moments? Right. Well, again, that's just, well, mm. yeah. I've, I've known Don for, for a number of years. So I, I simply knew that he... He is that guy that will he will he will punish his body to to get the victory. He just he he was he was just that type of a wrestler yeah. there as well. So well, well but those the, were the golden eras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the stupid column, like I said, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, how no? Again, when you look at that's that's the most viewed fight, but but when you when you All throw right. in half a dozen others of those, uh, you know that you've been involved in against Tank and Ken Shamrock and uh, a few others, is like going nobody else comes close in that category of just rock 'em sock 'em, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know Gagey. Gagey doesn't close. It's the close. Well, when you, you were talking about Gagey. I remember. Uh, I think the, before he was a UFC it's PFL, one of those. We did a show in Arizona. He fought Carlos uh, Palomino. Cardos, whatever his name, they went at first time I ever saw Jason fight. They went at it toe to toe, bro, and I could never forget that. And he's been like that ever since. Yeah, yeah. He he earns his money. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't cheat. He does not cheat the crowd, man. Never. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny because we did do. I think when we did the interview, it was kind of funny because he was a poor wrestler way back then in the very beginning, and now he's got like a chef that comes in, cooks his meals and stuff like that. It's like, oh, wow, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> so much for the the cheap the 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 cheap uh, hamburger, you know? Yeah. At the grocery the potato, store. The, you know? Yeah, the potato, yeah. Uh, the broccoli. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those days are done. Now you got chefs and everybody. Yeah. 98 cents of the ramen deal. <laughs> oh, I can say those, those are the amateur wrestling days, you know, back in college there. That, uh, you know, when, when you look in the, the cupboard and all you got is a can of tuna fish and some ramen noodles, and that's uh, that's dinner right there, baby, because no, you got to still make weight on top of all that. You but you know, that, that, that's a good point because, you know, I love going to the gyms. I mean, I live here in Vegas, so my weekends I'm doing shows, but Monday through Wednesday I'll go do gym runs like we're doing here. And, but, Everybody in that gym has one goal, and that's to become a world champion. And, right. and they've all gone through these steps of top ramen or just drinking water, you know? So yeah. the sacrifices, and that's why I have so much respect for you guys, because the sacrifices mentally and physically that you guys do uh, for a sport that, that the object of the game is to render somebody unconscious is unbelievable. And so much respect for everybody. Yeah. Is there is there like just one gym in particular that you go to, or do you, is there like a, 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 a whole slew of them? Yeah, you know, the I go to Randy Couture's gym, and uh, but I I do Mayweather's gym and Bones Adams and the boxing gyms for the most part. I do a lot of boxing now, and yeah. uh, and uh, so yeah, but I just go hang out, you know. Well, I know, like at uh, Randy Couture's place. I mean, last I knew, he had a son that was actually 
like managing it and kind of running it for Randy because Randy was still doing a lot of movies and doing other things. And then whenever Randy was in town, he would be he would go there and you know make his uh, make his uh, appearances and, and would run some class at that time. But for the most part, I thought it was his son that was kind of running that facility for him. Yeah, Ryan Ryan Couture. I've worked with him as a fighter, and uh, yeah, but he runs the gym. And as a matter of fact, that bloodiest fight I was telling you about with Jay Ron. Uh, that ring mat is up in Randy's gym. You know, the bloodiest fight uh, I ever worked. I was down, I was down down there, down uh, Jay Haram fought Jonathan Goulet and took a knee and severed that big vein we have coming down. He's led <laughs> like a pig from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So much blood, I got nauseated. Yeah, and, uh, you did? <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, it was uh, that much blood. And like, uh, I like Jay. Jay's a good guy, man. Yeah, it's a good guy. So that man is up on the on the wall in Randy's gym, and and that's Jay's uh, claim to fame with me. Wow. What, what did what again? I I did not see that match, but I mean, did 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 they have to eventually stop it because you they could, could stop the the bleeding or how, what? They, they, it's funny because they uh, the doctor. I mean, I'm cleaning them up, and 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 even Jonathan Gillette's full of blood, you know. So, uh, but I'm cleaning up and this and that, and. And the doctor says, well, Stitch, what do you think? Can you stop it? I say, yeah, yeah, no problem. And there's a mixture of <laughs> adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a mixture of adrenaline and Vaseline that I'll put at the final topical. topical. And as I covered the cut, the cut was about about this. Well, the it cut was about this big, but the vein popped. And I covered it, and the blood just went right through it. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, you can't stop those kind of fights. You, or you get that kind of cut. You just can't. Uh -huh. No, not unless they give you a couple minutes to stitch them. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, even that won't work. But, you know, yeah. we're talking about Japan, and I, I was doing a lot of bombay with Antonio Anoki with Josh Barnett. Yeah. And, but there's one Japanese guy, I guess, that was wrestling where they cut each other. Right. Man, I guess, I guess he cut that vein because I go to the back of the dressing room, and they couldn't stop the bleeding, so they called me to see if I could go and work on him. And, of course, you know, I put the medication on him and all that, but there was blood all over the, the floor. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> a little too much. Yeah. Well, one of the first times I was actually in a match, and and uh, my opponent was pulling out, they, they referred to it as the the, the, the little gig that, that they're going to use, this little piece of razor blade and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, and this over Japan, and, and literally I've got him down, so I'm actually kind of covering up on it. But I'm right there, I'm watching him, and literally it almost looks like he's playing tic-tac-toe on his forehead. He cut his forehead so many different directions because usually, I, I talked to some of the more senior professional wrestlers, they said, you want to always cut it you know, in, in, in the normal aging lines of your face so that they'll blend them in later in life. But here he's, he's literally, this guy's got, doing like tic-tac-toe on his forehead, and it was literally nauseating me. I'm thinking, God, stop, stop, here right on. I'm like going, you, you know, meet Dusty Rhodes. Oh no, I've, I've I've seen his forehead there before, yeah. but uh, I think even worse is probably Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, that was my next uh, my next question. Yeah, I mean he's got so much scar tissue; it looks it looks like a baby's butt on wow. there. I mean to the point that his 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 trademark is bringing out a fork and and but yeah. he'll as, as as something he gigs you with, but he'll stick that same fork right in the crack of the butt on his forehead, and and, and it will stick. <laughs> and he'll he'll start doing this kind of stuff for to the crowd, and I mean it's it's part of his show. But, uh, it was still pretty amazing there just just to watch that uh, sticking his uh, fork in the, in the crack of the butt of scar tissue on his forehead. But uh, yeah, he no, had no. so much scar tissue, he, he had to he had to do it like that. 
Yeah, they found out he had hepatitis B, I think it was, C or B, you know, and he well, didn't know about for a decade, you know. So yeah, well, yeah, well, again, that was one thing that uh, I was telling Stitch a little bit earlier that when, you know, going from state to state, you know, the uh, MMA and NHB was, was changing all the time, you know, that more and more athletic commissions, uh, professional wrestling, you know, again, you know, there's a, a lot of states that don't regulate professional wrestling because they're like going well they don't look upon it as a sport but the, the reality is they should still regulate it because a lot of these a lot of these guys are not in very good physical shape so i think that a, a standard physical should be should be had but then also blood tests because a lot of times there is gigging of the forehead and you just don't know who is clean and who is not and you'd rather know that you're working with someone that did pass at least a, a basic physical and a blood test for hiv hep b hep c well, oh, that should, you know that that should be automatic with any kind of contact sport where you're dealing with the transfer of blood, you yeah. know, and especially in this type of sport. But you know, let me ask you guys because you know I've dealt with a lot of MMA guys, I've dealt with a lot of boxers, but I've never dealt with a lot of veteran guys when it comes to long-term injuries. So, I guess Don, you know, how's the body? Is the knees, the back? It what, hates me. It hates me tremendously. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's revolting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've had I've had like seventeen to twenty uh, back surgeries because uh, a majority of them are are infections. Because you know, you get an infection and it's just reoccurring. You know, so it's, I'm I picked up um, what is it? It's a staph infection in the hospital. You know, and it that stays with you. You know, forever. And it just. Whenever yes. they said to come out, I mean, back in 2018, 18 or 19, I, I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital, 19. um, fuck, six or seven times, anywhere from one week to to a month, you know. So, and uh, this year, this year we're in now, knock on wood, you know, I uh, haven't been in the hospital, haven't been in last year. Last year I was in there for, um, about about the same as 2019 you yeah, know that knee that knee infection yeah was bad. yeah that was nasty oh it, it, it had, had my chef here get the, <laughs> get the learn learn how to do medic I, I became a, a an in-house nurse for two months <laughs> yeah. yeah no i didn't stitch there for a while there i mean i, I visited don when he was in, when he's in a couple of different closer facilities uh, up here in the phoenix area and it was uh there was, I mean, I went in there because that's one of the time he had the staff. And I mean, he was, his back was like filleted open and there was oh. tubes in him and stuff was being drained out of him. I'm thinking, holy moly, it's kind of like going, this, you know, that, that was, that was actually kind of rough to kind of watch right there. <laughs> so kind of going, but he, he's, he's, he's a trooper. I mean, this kind of like going, well, like in a hangnail. And I, I think I, I'm crying. <laughs> so, so, the, so the, the staff infections come from what? From grappling, dirty mats, uh, yeah, transfer fluids. What 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 causes all those? All of those. I mean, yeah, wrestling is really the only one. Boxers don't get it. Really? Wow. I don't think I've never I've never known of any fighter to boxer to get the. Uh, well, they don't spend a lot of time on the mat. Yeah. You know? yeah so again, well, that's that's where again, like you said, there's a stitch. I mean, on wrestling mats, you could get any anything from ringworm to staph infections. It just all depends on. How are you cleaning these mats? And the mats need to be cleaned after each practice. Every day. And, yeah. Yes. 
sometimes you know i mean after every yeah every, every after after every practice they they need to be clean and again it's it's kind of like going you you really have to even like in heavy bags stuff like that you got to wipe down the heavy bags because you got all these these different guys that, that you don't know what they have and they're holding on this bag and they're, they're, they're working clinch work and they're throwing one two combination double form shivers and then they're doing clinch work you, you got to wipe, wipe all these bags wiping their nose and bags, the bag, yeah. bags yeah, I mean, they yeah. spit, they spit, they snot, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not the cleanest thing. <laughs> yeah, there's even like one other device is called a takedown machine. It's it's an amateur wrestling device that you use all type of shooting singles, high crotches, and double legs, things of that nature onto it. But I used to be, I used to use that as one of my training partners. I put on a pair of boxing gloves and I would, I would just beat the this machine on up. And then I, again, I working from strikes to go into clinches, and then trying for throws and takedowns, and it's hard to do that with with gloves on. But uh, you know, you're not going to find a workout partner that wants you to do that to them. So it's kind of like the three devices I had that were best was a heavy bag, a throwing dummy, and this little takedown machine. I did things to them that I hoped I never had to do to uh, uh, an individual, but I was prepared because I had practiced it. What are we talking about so here, many dude? times? Previously, previously, what's that? So, what exactly are we talking about here, Dan? <laughs> well, again, you know, again, so I was you're trying to see the match if any kind of striking here whatsoever, <laughs> striking and things of nature, using oh, okay, okay. using nice uh, equipment instead of you know being mean to to, to workout partners. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about doing things to doing things to this uh, Matt. You didn't want to do the individuals. So I'm like, wait a second. Oh, <laughs> I see. You're, you're going over to a dark CD area. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. You're going over to a dark CD area right now. Okay. Uh, conversation. Let's, 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 break, let's, break, let's break you break you back into focus here now. Yeah. <laughs> but then even also um, uh, drying out, you know. And and I, I did a show with Frank Trigg in Japan. Day before the fight, he lost 18 pounds. Yeah. But for you guys, it's pretty normal. Well, I don't know if 18 is normal, but for losing a lot of weight, it's pretty, pretty common for wrestlers, right? Yeah. And, and the thing about Trigg, he ended up winning the fight the next day. You know, so right. I'm thinking, wow, man. You know, he was literally just a, a sack of potatoes in the sauna where we had to pull him out and take him to his room. Did the other guy make weight? Yeah, they fought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they fought. They fought. I, you know, so who won. Who won? Uh, Trig. Trig won. Right. That, that was that was my concern that if you know if if it's common for wrestlers to lose so much weight. See, I know nothing about wrestling, but I know that if you lose a lot of weight, uh, it could be detrimental to your body. I don't know, but yeah. you guys have a system where where it's done pretty pretty regularly. Yeah, routine. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and another okay. question I asked is is how many times have you gone into a fight? With some kind of injury and oh. probably high partner i'll tell you what uh the only time i wasn't injured was when i fought in the ufc back in 96 after that the best i ever was was 65 70 percent the wow. best you know i mean i've been down to, to where i was probably 10 percent. you know or just you know just just the body walking walking in there you know and, yeah and barely walking too you know but it's you know it's uh, the, the job you the job you, you chose and you sign your name and you know that's another thing about wrestling you know wrestlers you you know they have that obligation and and they they do it you know because I mean 
Dan, how many times you've been injured in a yeah, no, again, you just get to, you, as, like the stitches, as like Dan talked about in amateur wrestling, you you got uh, you got your your teammates and you you're, you're at your weight class and you know they're they're counting on you to walk out there and there's a lot of times that you'd have your hand all bandaged on up because you stoked your your thumb knuckle so 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 bad that you got it all taped on up just so you kind of keep it in together knowing that you can still hook hook their their leg and things of nature but uh, you know just like said Don said that uh, to walk out there even if you're not you're not feeling good. You know, you, you might have a cold or something like that, but it's kind of going, you know, you got to suck it up and walk on out there and and do your match because they're counting on you. You can't forfeit. Otherwise, your team loses six points, and that six points is a lot to make up in an amateur wrestling duel meet. So even – Stitch, I've been on I've been on two ends of the coin. Early in my career, I was – as an amateur wrestler, one of my goals was I wanted to make – I wanted to make varsity as a freshman. Because no one had ever done that in my in my high school alma mater I went to, and I I I weighed 165 pounds and I went down to 155 pounds, but as a as a freshman going up against sophomores, juniors, and seniors, that one two three years of physical maturity and the experience that they have, they destroyed me. So I, I challenged at my weight class. I went up. I went up. I went up to where the last person, the last one weight class the challenge was the heavyweight my coach probably should not have ever allowed the match because i'm literally wearing a 155 pound uniform and the heavyweight was uh, unlimited at that point time and our heavyweight probably weighed i'll say close to i don't know 280 something like that but he wasn't exactly the most muscular type person was the most agile person all i know is he tripped fell down i fell on top of him i pinned him and i and i I won my i won my contest of, of making varsity but then Fast forward to the end of the season. It boils down. We're at the conference championship. Conference championship boils down to the heavyweight heavyweight match. If this if this other team's heavyweight can pin me, they win the championship. All I got to do is simply survive six minutes. And then stitch. I counted those lights in that gymnasium probably 20 <laughs> or 30 times over. That means he had me on my back and get ready to pin me. I mean, literally, he broke me. He broke me. I, I might have had three or four points that he gave me simply to try to hit me with another headlock and try to pin me or lateral drop and try to pin me. And all I know is when, when the buzzer finally went off, my team was rejoicing. I mean, he beat me like 25 to 3 or something like that because the, the tech fall didn't even, it was not involved in the industry at, at that point in time. And my team was all cheering and stuff like this. And and they're gathering around me. And, and I felt like Gumby. I was, I was so broken. And as they're all on the mats cheering that they had just won, I mean, I'm, I'm back around the, the around the, the bleach right there because I'm actually kind of crying because I was broken. I mean, literally, I was broken. I, I was so, so destroyed. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll be back and I'll be better than what I was. But it's like I, I my whole my whole job was to walk out there and not get pinned. So it's like going, that's not exactly what I call a, a luxurious career. So I tell people I've been on both sides of the coin to where my goal was simply just to walk out there and not get pinned, but yeah. get physically destroyed in the process. Yeah, and I have you you have to go through those changes to understand. You know, so yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, well, Stitch, what do you what do you got coming up? What what's what's some of the things that's coming up for you? Oh, looks- I uh, I leave tomorrow to Houston. I'm working uh, the Zone Boxing Shane Mosley Jr. And then the week after, I'll be in Florida for boxing again with a Cuban champion Robesi. And then uh, I have 
Christmas off, and then uh, I'll spend the end of the year. I have a boxing show in Tokyo on New Year's Eve with uh, Kazuto Ayoka. And you guys know in, in Japan, they always have a big MMA show, a big kickboxing Christmas. show, and a big uh, boxing show. I've been there for all three of them. So yeah. I've been in Tokyo like 10 times for New Year's, and my birthday's on the 29th. So I, I spent it up there with, uh, and we were talking about, you know, being away from family and all that. That's yeah. pretty much what we do. So I've been blessed. I, uh, I, I'm i dealing with uh, a, 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 a cut cream, a CBD cut cream that uh, I've used with fighters that works great. And uh, and then the people that are going to help us distribute it, they, they're a very high-end cannabis company. And I'll let you guys know now is uh, looking in the new year, we might be having Stitch Premium uh, cannabis products. And and uh, so that's in the works. And uh, there's a tequila company that wants to use my image and so on. And so I've been I've been okay. I've been blessed. Movies. No, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, again, if people want to get in contact with you, I mean, if there's someone that they have to watch this episode and they want to get in contact with you for possible sponsorships or maybe a business opportunity, something like that, where's a good way for people to contact you? Contact me. Contact me and I'll get a hold of him for you. Hey, be my agent, bro. I'll give you 10 I'll fill in. I'll fill in. I'll give you 10%, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fill that right now. Uh, yeah, at, at Stitch Durant, you know, like say, we were going, and, and Don, let me ask you, do you know my first name? My real name? Yeah, I do. I did fuck, but I forgot Nobody it. Nobody knows. <laughs> I no, I I knew it because we were talking about it. We were talking about it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what I said because I said that's going to be the very first question. I go as I do the introduction. I would go, "Who the heck's Jacob Durant?" I said, "I don't yeah. know Jacob Durant. I know Stitch Durant." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the part, man. That's a good thing, you know. So yeah. So I've been blessed, you know. I've been taking advantage of these opportunities and you know representing myself, you know, and. uh so I just keep going forward and taking care of fighters. Bottom line is my legacy, you guys, is when, when I did this game, is that I made this game a lot safer for the fighters and uh, by educating and, uh, and going forward. Yeah, I'm going to say, because I know in the U.S., yeah, I'm pretty certain that I had you had a couple of different times that you were in there, you know, taking care of me and stuff like that. So, you know. So, yeah, it's been a blessing, you know, and uh, I'm just warming up, just keep getting better and better and, you know, I've been involved in seven movies, and I've, I just I'm getting a pension from them now. And yeah, I'm, I know this much about acting, but I've been in some great movies with three with Rocky and three with Michael B. Jordan and Boss Rutten. Uh, here comes the boom with Kevin James, and yeah. uh, you know Antonio. Oh, ben- what what, what a character he is! Though. I mean, you talk about someone that's full of energy, Boss Rutten. Oh my God, he, it's kind of like going, what what kind of energy drink are you on there, Boss? <laughs> uh, hey, but listen, we were we filmed in. Uh, Low Massachusetts for Here Comes the Boom with Kevin James, right? Yeah. And, uh, Boss was there for like three months, so he had his, his Porsche uh, was sent to him so he could go from Boston to Low, which is about 40 minutes. How I would drive with him, and it's raining, and it's wintertime, and he's music is jamming, and he's driving like a bat out of hell, and I'm buckled up, and I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm. well, Boss has always been crazy, and he's still alive. So I got to go with his faith that he's going <laughs> to take care of me. And yeah, man, we're best of friends. I just got a message from him the other day that uh, a friend of the doctor that he worked, that worked with him, the guy wants to be a cut man. So boss touched base with me. Nice. 
No, that, that that again, that was a great movie. I mean, it was it was it's comical, yeah. And, and uh, but you know, it, it, it was a good storyline though, with with all, all aspects of it there. So, no, it was a good good movie to be yeah. to, to to watch. You know, that a feel fun. good movie. Yeah, that was fun. And just real quick before we go, is you know, residuals. When you have lines, you get residuals, and that's where the money comes. Right. Well, and here comes the boom. I didn't have no lines, and I'm thinking, man, I got to say something. But when it was time for me and Kevin James to do our scene. He pulls me aside and he says, Stitch, we got to have you say something. And as I play the dumb part. That's why, well, you know, I always tell the guys, welcome to the UFC. Oh, yeah, let's do that. So they call me in and boom, I'm working on him. And now, oh, Stitch, I can't believe you're working on me, big fan, so and so. And I'm working on him. Finally, at the end, I slap him. Boom. Well, welcome to the UFC. And I walk off. Nobody knew I was going to slap him. Everybody started laughing. And that part is in the movie. And that's what I call my million dollar line. <laughs> <laughs> wow, nice, nice. Welcome to the UFC. Yeah. Nah, all good. Well, I mean, Don, you got any other questions? I, I don't. I, I'm trying to be respectful for Stitch's time here right now, but uh, um, I screwed it up, man. I apologize. Yeah. No, 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 no. All, all is good. I mean, like I said, Stitch and I were we're, we're having a good conversation, oh, yeah. and uh, went over some some good stuff right there. But uh, again, just to let people know, you said that your the best way of contact you is at Stitch Duran. At Stitch Duran, yes. Okay. And I always return phone calls or messages. And, you know, to me, it's disrespectful when you don't return somebody. You know, little things make a big difference. Yeah. I'd say that's part of part of that old school mentality right there. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of people now that uh, they, they don't return phone calls, especially yeah. this, this young, young, it's hard to actually get them to even look at you because they're all, they, they, they're, they're always looking at this little device all the time. I mean, you see them walk down the sidewalk and they walk right into a post or something like that because they're so glued to the all-knowing, the all-be and that little square box. Yeah. Yeah, Dan Dan always returns all the phone calls, but it's always collect. So, <laughs> collect. Now, you know, you know, Don's old school when you throw the word out, collect. You go, you go, you go, yeah. Nobody yeah. knows what that means. That, that, that gives me a lot of hard time there, but I'm the only guy that I'm the only guy that, that wears a fanny pack. That he goes if it ever was uh, I'd be unzipped. That he'd see moths fly out of me because that that get open too often. <laughs> oh, the, the sun, the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but, but but as we stated earlier, it's kind of knowing good that you don't have to worry about anything. You're good to go in life, and that's that's a good feeling to have. And on that uh, note, there, gentlemen, I simply show bid you. Both ado because I have to scamper on off there. If you guys want to chat a little bit more, please do it. But Stitch, really wonderful to get a chance to reconnect there with you and just to be just to find out what you're doing and, and, and all the, the wonderful projects that you're still involved in. So I'll simply bid you guys adieu. And you guys, if you want to chat a little bit more. Your, 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 your kitchen pass getting rescinded? Well, I I, I, I have I have to meet the better half at a restaurant and uh, i told her i would be i would be very good about trying to stay on time just so i can get on there i i tried to you know i might be a tough man there but uh why does why does the better half make me cry there stitch i i don't hey, understand that is, you know I, I tell people all over the world i'm known as stitch i come home i'm jacob so I'm, <laughs> yeah hey we all understand you can be the baddest man on the planet till you get home and then mama kind of reigns so yes exactly uh, Exactly. All right, well, listen, thanks for having me on, you guys. Thank you, uh, sir. Thank you. Don, we'll do it again. And yes, sir. Dan, appreciate you guys. And uh, anytime, man, let's do it again. Gracias. Okay. Thank you very All much. Right. All right, guys. God bless.
Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.